From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! And just like that, we're back. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast, Tuesday, May 25th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Possibly the most ratchet, raggedy-sounding voice in the history of this show. And it's only been me, so that's the scale with which we have to judge. Pollen season, or allergy season, whatever it is, is so brutal in Nashville right now. And I sneeze so violently and so frequently that it has partially ripped my vocal cords. So I had two options. Either be a lazy, bum, deadbeat loser and don't do the pod, or just sound like this. I have made my choice. I hope you ride with me. And I don't know if Memorial Day presents are a thing, but if they are, or if they become one, lozenges, just keep your money, keep your gift cards, just send lozenges. I don't even care if they're off-brand at this point. Go to Walgreens, CVS. I don't even need hauls. Just give me some lozenges. So we do have a good mailbag today, and I'm going to go through as much as I possibly can. Hey, you guys have been sharing this stuff. So I, I know I, I keep saying the same stuff, but it's only because I keep checking our numbers and they keep going up. I mean, imagine the surprise of management, if you will, just to show you all what you are doing. Imagine the surprise of management when they're going through metrics and every other metric for video or web or podcast, whatever the case may be, they're seeing an expected dip. It's not a bad thing. It's expected this time of year. And then they get to this little rogue podcast over here, Late Kick. What in the world is that? It must be titled wrong. These numbers look wrong, too. There's no way that more people are listening this month than they were last month. That can't be. Well, yes, it can. And it can because we, unlike some others out there, do not have off seasons. And what kind of started out as a cool thing to say has become a mantra that the collective audience has gotten tattooed on its lower back. We just don't do it. We just don't slow down. And if this is the slowest time of year, like I said on Late Kick Live the other night, stop to imagine for just a second what it's going to be like this fall. Yeah. So let's dive into the mailbag this morning. I got several questions, so I'm not going to go a specific person. You know what? Let's make one up. Josh. Josh from Nashville, formerly Georgia, asks, why did you tweet about Florida State this morning? So right before I started recording this, I put out a very simple tweet. They're normally the best ones. One line usually does the trick. And I said, buy stock in Florida State recruiting. And so a lot of you were naturally inquisitive. And then some of you come in the DMs and say, hey, tell me more. Well, I'll tell you right here what I mean. I was about to record with Steve Wiltfong this morning on the Wiltfong Recruiting Whip Around. And you can find that on YouTube every week. And as is usually the case with Wiltfong, there is not a more dialed in, tied in dude in this industry than Wiltfong constantly has to stop recording with me to take calls from players or parents of players or coaches or staffers. And I just was listening to him this morning. And then, of course, I talked to him all throughout the week. There's a lot of good happening at Florida State right now, a lot of positive energy. I know right now the preview magazine culture is focused and infatuated, as a matter of fact, on the transfer portal and all the additions Mike Norvell and his staff made. And I am, too. I'm going to talk about this some on the Thursday show. I am, too. I understand how significant it is with the talent deficit that they had there when they came in, they being the new staff, to go into the transfer portal and get six of the top 100 kids in there. That's not all the transfers they've gotten. It's just six of them are ranked top 100 right now per 24-7 sports. I know how significant that is, and I know why the focus is there because that's going to be the name of the game in 2021. Class of 2022 and 23 recruits don't matter this year, but they do matter for the future. And right now, 
and it's not one place I'm hearing this from. It's several places. That Florida State staff is really making some headway. I think it was natural when Norvell got hired at Florida State to question his recruiting. Not that you had reason to doubt it. You just have reason to question it. Brian Harson coming to Auburn right now is the same way because you just don't know. You don't have a track record. They were at Memphis and Boise, respectively, and it's just a different world. Well, by all returns early on, Mike Norvell and his staff have taken a dive into the deep end in Florida and beyond, and they are recruiting at an insane pace, and I think it's going to pay off possibly, and this is really caveated, possibly with a changing of the guard, at least in the recruiting rankings, atop the ACC. Now, Clemson's going to be there. Clemson's been there, I think it's four years running now, and they've been there on the field for like six or more. But uh, they've been ranked number one, have the Clemson Tigers in the conference every year the past four years. There is some thinking out there, and I'm starting to buy into it more and more, that Florida State could be putting themselves in position to finish number one in the recruiting rankings for the ACC. So for those of you out there who love to use that word parity or balance or whatnot, and you're getting tired of one team running roughshod over a conference, this is where I would suggest you pay some of your attention. Watch Florida State. I have talked about ad nauseum over the past year, wanting one or more of the big boys in the state of Florida to really start owning their space in recruiting. I'm not talking about Florida and Miami at the moment. I'm talking about Florida State. And it looks like the Knowles are well on their way to doing that. And that's going to be a very good thing. Number one, it makes Florida State more competitive in the midterm and long-term future, which obviously has a direct impact on Clemson. And it also has a direct impact on other programs that have been feasting in the state of Florida. But you can't just do it one cycle, and it can't just be one team doing it one cycle. Okay, The Gators have to be on board. The Canes have to be on board. Uh, neither are recruiting poorly. I'm just saying I believe there's a world in which all three can recruit at an elite level. And I selfishly, you know, is if I were to just put on my college football hat, like Rob Lowe, just wearing the NFL hat, only person in history, including commissioners that I've ever seen wearing an NFL hat, I'm wearing college football on my hat right now. And for the betterment of college football, y'all aren't dragging me into the playoff expansion mess, but I will root for a more evened out recruiting landscape, which is the real name of the game anyway. That's how you actually accomplish the stuff you think you're trying to accomplish with the playoffs. So I've said my piece. That concludes our playoff expansion talk for this morning. Or does it? Because as sure as I look down at my notes, the very next question comes from A. Cochran 459 in the podcast review section, by the way, which I thank you for. Some of you wonder what I mean by that, because it is hard to find. When you go in the podcast, and it's on Apple, I think is where you can do it. If you scroll all the way down past all the episodes, you look down there and there's a place you could rank us. I ask humbly that you give us a five-star review. Uh, we're up near 1,500. Yeah, that's an extremely good number for a podcast of our age. We're about a year old, by the way. So keep on doing that. But you also can write a question there in the review. And so I encourage you to do that because I see all of them, no matter how you send them. I think we just get a little added traction if you do it that way. So feel free, as did A. Cochran 459, to submit your question that way. Here's the question. He said, I'm fine with a four-team playoff, but I want expansion just for the great matchups it would produce. Just think about how pumped we are for Oregon versus Ohio State or Auburn versus Penn State. I think with an expanded playoff, we get a lot more of this, which would be awesome. Uh, this is a fallacy. To me, this is a fallacy. Now, I know why it makes sense on the surface. I used to ask uh, my mom a lot because I didn't understand money because I was five years old. In my class one time, we watched uh, one of those documentaries on how things are made, and they did one on the U.S. Mint. I was probably a little bit older than five. 
I was still single digits, though. Anyway, so we watched the video on the U.S. Mint. And it was not until that point that I learned money is printed. I didn't know that. I didn't know that we cut down trees, we turned the trees into paper, we put the paper through a printing press, and we have just decreed that that is worth something. I didn't know that. Of course, you got to have the gold standard. Well, you would like to, to back it up. But I didn't know, little little nine-year-old, eight-year-old, whatever, JP, he did not know that we were able to print money. But when he found out, guess what his next question was? Mom, why don't we just print a lot more money? Why don't we print enough money where everyone can have a bajillion dollars? Isn't that easy? Isn't it simple? It's just like if we have great college football during the year and we really love these high-profile, especially the out-of-conference games that are so rare, why don't we just fix the sport where we have a ton of them. Well, it's because the value is found in the scarcity. If you created a million Auburn versus Penn States, then all of a sudden the Auburn versus Penn State game wouldn't carry the value and the attention-seeking nature that it does. The rarity and the scarcity is what creates the value. That's why college football's regular season is so great, because we don't get a ton of that. You can't have more of it but then keep the same value. Just We're learning this lesson right now, once again, the hard way economically. It's funny because this lesson is played out in several civilizations throughout history, and yet you know every civilization has to learn it their own unique way. And I guess the college football civilization is going to have to learn it the hard way too. If you want a parallel, look at college basketball. Because a lot of you expansionists, you want to come at me and you want to say, there's nothing in sports like March Madness. And I agree with you. It's great. So why wouldn't you want to have that? Have what, a one-month sport? Is that a serious question? pause, no answer there. But you know what they do in college basketball? They have really big on paper regular season matchups in a normal year, not this past year because it was crazy and the good teams weren't good. But in a normal year, you'll see Duke play Kentucky. You'll see Michigan State play Kansas. Sometimes it's in those tip-off classics. Sometimes it'll be at the midpoint of the year. College basketball fans know about the game. I mean, diehard fans know that it's happening. They don't even equate to a blip on the radar screen in the greater landscape of sports. They don't even, it wouldn't matter because you know it doesn't matter if you see it or not. Whether I watched Kentucky versus Duke on December 3rd is going to be totally irrelevant. On Selection Sunday, it's going to be totally totally irrelevant when the NCAA tournament rolls around. They just don't matter. Okay, so that's what your precious tournament there, which I love, by the way, in March did. You, you don't get one, you don't get that grand spectacle for that one month without giving up value in your regular season. It's that simple. You think out there, I know because I've talked to many of you guys, you think you can accomplish both. And there is literally no logical basis in history that indicates you're right. Unfortunately, some people have to see it and believe it. You think to yourself, because you've only known one college football, you think to yourself, there's no way that the sport could ever become an environment where I wouldn't be interested in Oregon at Ohio State. No, I didn't say that. No different than I didn't say diehard college basketball fans don't watch Kentucky versus Duke. I said it doesn't have the kind of feel, the kind of urgency, no safety net, do or die feel that a regular season college football game has. And it's because they all play with a giant safety net under them. They all know it doesn't matter if you win 68-64 or you lose 68-64. Chances are both of you are going to still have access to a one seed. And if not, I mean, you're going to be fine. You're going to make the tournament. So everyone just leaves. They dap. They shake hands. Oh, well, see you later. See you on down the road. That's great. If you want it for college basketball, that's fine. I don't want that for college football. I want to know that by the end of this night, even though that's only week two, 
Oregon, Ohio State, Auburn, Penn State. That's week two, week three this year. I want to know that someone has just removed every bit of margin for error they have the rest of the year. They could both still make it in, but they can't afford to trip up again the rest of the year or it's done. Their playoff chances are done. That's what I want to know. And I can only know it if we have the kind of structure we have right now. All right, we roll on. Shane says, I think it's, Shane used an expletive. I'm going to leave it out. I know you got your kiddos sitting next to you on the way to school, any given town in America right now. So are they out of school? Scratch that. You're driving them to the pool right now. I know what you're doing. And so I'm going to leave the expletive out, but I share Shane's sentiment here. He says, I think it is blank that tampering is going on to the degree that it is in college football right now. What is the answer? What's the solution? That's what Shane's asking. What are we talking about here? Most of you know what tampering means, but how does it specifically apply to college football? Well, because of the transfer portal and because of the no-consequence nature of transferring now, a lot of kids are eligible to transfer. Pretty much all of them are. But a lot of kids in their mind are a lot more willing to consider transferring. Well, it used to be that if you and I were recruiting, if you run, let's say, Texas A&M, and I run Pate State, and we're heads-up recruiting a kid out of Biolabatry, and he's a four-star defensive tackle, and you land him. I say, oh, man, oh, well, see you later. We'll probably see you on the field down the road. But that's it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's over. For me and that kid, it's over. There's an outside shot, like a 1% chance he transfers, but by and large, it's over. Well, nowadays, it's a totally different landscape. It feels like there is a large percentage chance, a much larger than 1% chance, that he could be back in play for us one day, especially if A&M doesn't play him as a true freshman and he's not really happy with the situation. So what I'm going to do is, well, I wouldn't do this, but some staffs are. I'm going to stay in touch with his aunt and with his dad and with his high school coach and his trainer. And there are a couple of kids over there at A&M who are playing there. He's one of them who also played with some kids on our team. So I'm going to tell the kids on our team, high school teammates formerly of the one that I still want from BioLabatry. Let's just have them keep in touch. So I got all these modes of communication. These lines are still open. And come the end of his freshman year, I'm reaching back out. And I'm saying, are you happy? Because, man, they're not using you like we would use you. This is happening every day right now. It's called tampering. It's technically illegal, but rules and laws only matter to the degree they're enforced. You and I both know that. And we also know, along with coaches, that the NCAA is totally incapable of enforcing what they have now on the books. And they're certainly incapable of policing tampering. So no one's worried about it. Shane, you're probably reacting to the article that Alex Scarborough wrote for ESPN.com the other day. I'm going to go a lot deeper on that Thursday night on Late Kick Live. And I, so I'm, I don't want to go fully down the rabbit hole here, but I will partially. Because Shane, you ask, how do you stop that? Well, in that article that Alex Scarborough wrote, he had a lot of coaches willing to go on the record. That's how you know they're mad. Uh, They didn't ask to be unnamed. He had an unnamed high school coach go on the record, and the high school coaches sometimes are the facilitators here. And the high school coach said, I would estimate 60% of programs are engaged in this activity. Now, I think that's a little bit high, but I, I do think it's a sizable chunk of programs that are doing it. Some of them are doing it just to get an edge. The others are doing it to keep up because they know, uh, well, we either got to do it or get left in the dust. So some may be more unwilling participants than others, kind of like a major league locker room in the 90s. Some guys juiced to juice, and then other guys juiced because it was the difference in them staying on the 25-man roster and making $1.5 million a year versus being in AA and riding a bus all night to get to Toledo for a doubleheader. And so they did what they thought they had to do to provide for their families. I've never hated on guys for it. It's illegal. It's against the rules. It's a stain on the game. It's, it's everything. But you've never been in that position. 
And so until you've been in that position where it's really make or break financially for you, don't just assume you know what you'd do. We all know what's ethical. We all know. And we all like to think we know in the back of our minds what we do, but you don't. Really, until you've been put in that situation, you don't. So I've never been one to you know, really castigate these folks for doing stuff that's wrong. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not endorsing the behavior. But having said that, I got a problem with this stuff, just like a lot of these coaches that were quoted in this piece had. But at the same time, they look around. Eli Drinkwitz just flat out went on record, as did Sonny Dykes, among others, in this piece by Alex Scarborough. And they said, how in the world would we ever assume the NCAA can police this? I mean, we had a basketball investigation where they had guys wiretapped on record talking about paying players and nothing ever happened. These guys are saying this, not me, but I get the point. Point's taken. And so they're saying, we don't believe the NCAA can police this, and they're right. And so then they say, and so what, what recourse does it give us if our competition's doing it, including doing it to our roster? We either got to do it or we face the consequences of losing. And after we go five and seven, our fan base isn't interested in us saying, oh, but we didn't tamper. At least we didn't tamper. No one cares about that. And so they, they know what the name of the game is. Well, here's my solution. My solution is don't ever count on the NCAA to fix anything about college athletics, first off. Secondly, that doesn't mean there's no solution. It just means it has to come from the conference level. Greg Sankey, for example, is the SEC commissioner. If he were to get his 14 SEC head coaches at the spring meetings, or he were to get them at media days or wherever they're going to meet collectively, and he were to look around the room and say, raise your hand if you're against tampering and you wish it wasn't in the sport. All 14 of them are going to raise their hand. Now, he can either call BS on them, or he can do it in a more creative way. He said, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. Because as far as I can tell, none of you are pro-tampering. You all want it out of the game, but you're afraid that the NCAA can enforce the rules. Is that right? And that'd say, yep. And so here's what he could say. Well, forget the NCAA. I'm going to police this. We're going to police ourselves here. You head coaches are going to have to police yourselves, and here's how we're going to do it. I'm not going to threaten you with taking away scholarships or having you go before the Committee on Infractions in Indianapolis. What I'm going to do is, and then he reaches in his pocket, and he just rattles around a couple of quarters, enough where you can hear the change jingle. He says, you hear that? That's the sound of money. That TV contract money that we signed, that that logo, the SEC, created the value for as a result of all our member institutions, I have that money in my hand every year. The conference does. And we distribute it equally to you guys. But moving forward, since all you guys are on board with no tampering, I'm going to force your hand here, and I'm going to get all your universities on board to agree to legislation that says if you are caught tampering, you're not getting your chunk of TV revenue this year. Guess what that would do? It would turn the heat up tenfold to any rule that the NCAA has ever tried to hold over your head. That, Shane, and only that, is the way that you're going to effectively legislate this stuff. you got to hit people where it hurts. It's in the pocketbook. you got to make these schools truly believe there's a trap door that they're sitting on, and if someone pulls the lever, they lose $30 million. That's what you have to make them scared of. Andrew has got a really good question that stems from a conversation we were having the other night about the schedule draft and about which games we were going to choose to go to this year. And I picked USC-Notre Dame because it's a uniform game. God, i got to pick the uniform games, especially when they are nationally ranked teams. Andrew has a question, though, that's a really good, unique perspective. I'm going to hit it right when we come back. 
Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so here's Andrew's question. He says, the last time Southern Cal won a championship was in 04. 05 for Texas, 98 for Tennessee. I was five years old when Texas won their last and wasn't born yet when Tennessee won. My question is this, do these major uniform games mean less for college students and younger fans nowadays due to the lack of championship seasons for these programs? This is a good point, Andrew. I think the answer is yes. So I was in, what, high school, I guess? Yeah, I was in high school when, when that was going on, not when Tennessee won. I was a kid when Tennessee won. But I was in high school when that was going on with USC and Texas. So that was, those were my kind of formative years of being a fan, I guess you would say. And so USC and Texas, it would take a long time for those brands and logos to lose value for me. But think about this. Think about what Andrew's saying. And I say this all the time with Tennessee fans. Tennessee was last relevant on the national scene in the mid-2000s. They mattered. They weren't winning the title, but they mattered there. And they haven't been since then. That rivalry with Alabama has been 14 in a row. Saban has been 14-0 and against Tennessee. Well, think about the age of the kids you're trying to recruit. And you're trying to recruit them on the tradition and history of Tennessee. And the bottom line is, they're 15 or 16 years old. They weren't even able to walk or talk the last time you mattered on the national scene, really. And I know there was a blip on the radar screen maybe for a little while in the mid-20-teens, but that didn't last very long. And so to them, this may really pain you. Some of those folks don't look at Tennessee any different than Purdue. They look at them like Arizona. It's just another program out there. It's just another middling program. And I know that hurts. And it's not the way I look at Tennessee, but I'm, a, I'm old enough to know better. But really, I'm old enough to know history. Like, I always looked at the history of college football. So I could tell you about stuff long before I was born. But I'm the exception. You can't be expecting high school kids. They don't even know American history. They're trying to get out of American history class. They certainly don't want to know college football history. They want to know what the future holds. That's what they want to know. That's what anyone wants to know at that age. I'm not, I'm not faulting them. So I think you're right, Andrew. Southern Cal, I, mean, I know that they get some attention because they're Southern Cal. Uh, Texas has been the same way. I think you're right. And I don't think about it like that, but I, I have a different perspective. But if I look at USC versus Notre Dame. That means the world to me, just seeing those helmets on the field at the same time. That means the world to me. And I know the history and tradition of the game and the rivalry. But I could easily see if you're 18 or 19 years old, that game not meaning nearly as much to you and you don't really get why there's a big deal made about it. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't get why there's a big deal about Army-Navy because I didn't have a concept of what the Army was, what the Navy was. So all I thought to myself was, well, they're never good at football. Why do these people always make such a big deal about Army-Navy? Well, we all know now, if we're adults, the reason why that game's big. It doesn't have anything to do with 
championship aspirations or a history of rich tradition and top five finishes. That's a totally different hallway. But the way that little JP probably felt about people making a big deal about the Army-Navy game, that may be, and I know this is tough to say, it's tough to, it's tough to envision, that may be the way an 18-year-old thinks about some of you, or maybe us, trying to make a big deal out of USC-Notre Dame. Now stop to think about that for a second. I don't think it's quite to that degree, because Notre Dame has been there. I mean, they've been, they've been nationally relevant most of these years. Southern Cal... I know we say they're not nationally relevant. It's not like they're finishing three and nine or anything like that either. I mean, it's a good program. They're going to start the season in the top 20 this year. They played for the Pac-12 championship last year. It's just you know what the expectation level is there, and you have one in your mind for them, and they have fallen well short of even coming close to meeting it. So, yeah, I, I, the answer is no, Andrew. I don't think that those uniform games probably carry as much weight. But I would encourage you, you know, if you understand the difference in college football as opposed to other sports, this stuff matters. It always was emphasized to me when I was growing up. It matters. And most of the time it was old VHS tapes you would have to go watch. But I remember growing up in the South, for example, you'd have that tape passed around of when Southern Cal came to Birmingham to play Alabama, Sam Cunningham. That's a very, very famous story. And you'd look at the the 78 or 79 Sugar Bowl. It was Paterno versus Bryant. It was goal line stand. You would see these big games, that Penn State-Georgia game, these big games when teams from outside the Southern footprint would come into the South or vice versa. And they're just, they were such huge deals. Think about how big that has to be for a game to happen in 1973. And I'm growing up in the 2000s and it's popular to be talking about that still. That's one four-quarter football game that kids played decades ago. Well, that's the value that some of these games have, but it can only matter to the current generation if those logos and those brands, if they're fulfilling their end of the bargain of being good. You have all the resources. You have every reason to be good. There's no reason not to be good. So my advice, be good. Be good. All right, I got about 25 minutes out of this voice today, and that's all I could get. I, I Trust me, it has been a monumental effort to even make it this far. Hopefully, honey, tea, whatever, probably to stop at a gas station on the way home. But um, I appreciate you sticking with it. And again, you guys are powering this entire brand, the Late Kick brand, and just myself along with it to places that makes me very excited when it comes to where we could be headed with this. So I thank you for that eternally. Anytime you guys screenshot evidence that you're listening to the podcast or watching the show. You throw it in your Instagram stories or you tweet it out. I always make an effort to retweet as many of those as possible and share them as as much as possible. It's hard because there are a whole lot of them, uh, but I appreciate it. So anytime that you want to reach out, I also encourage you to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, trying to grow those accounts very quickly at Late Kick Josh. Always here to talk. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. For producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 